0: lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The word of the Lord.
1: Almighty Father, we ask um, that you will Um, well, we recognize uh, that you are everywhere present. There's never any hiding from you. But what we ask is that you will uh, not only be present among us, as we recognize that you are, but that you would be active within us. That you would, by your Spirit, uh, work inside us, overcome the obstacles to trusting in Christ. Um, uh, Fill in the gaps of our understanding. But Lord, we don't only ask for understanding. We do ask for that. We ask for good, clear thinking. Please save us from every foggy thought. But we also ask that you would give us yourself. Above all, we want you. So do whatever it takes to give us you in your Son and by your Spirit. And we even ask that knowing that we don't entirely know what we're talking about, but you do, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sit down. Uh, And it's helpful if you turn back to uh, page 9 and 10, mainly 9, we're going to be, we're continuing a series in the Ten Commandments, and today we're looking at the fourth commandment, which is in verse 8. Take a look at it there. Remember the Sabbath day uh, to keep it holy. Now, um, what's the Sabbath? I mean, the the simplest thing to say is that in this context, Sabbath is Saturday. So in ancient Israel, uh, even before this point, uh, Israel, as an act of worship to the Lord, one of their most important acts of worship was to set aside uh, the sixth day of the weeks, what we call Saturday, and they were supposed to spend 24 hours uh, completely focused on worshiping the Lord and resting. And uh, today, um, you can go around New York City and you can see the Sabbath being observed quite a lot. Or actually, mostly, you can see the very end of Sabbath or the very beginning of Sabbath if you're in certain neighborhoods. And I'll just let that. Meet. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't, but that's fine. Um, but among other things, this is the beginning, beginning of the weekend, right? It, it all started right here. Now, let me ask you a question that I've asked before. Out of all the moral commandments that could possibly make it into God's top ten list, why does this one make it? Like, at what point did God get supremely concerned about our scheduling priorities? Do you know what I mean? I mean, here we are. We're, we are four commands into the ten commandments And we haven't even seen a bunch of the really big ones, like murder, hasn't been mentioned yet, and stealing, no mention, Uh, adultery, not yet, and even when those do get mentioned, those are all the really intuitive ones, right? Like when we think of, you know, hey, we should all keep the Ten Commandments. Those are the ones we, most of us think of. Those ones, they, they all come on the back end of the Ten Commandments, and they're the least elaborated. They're, the, they're just super simple, simply put. Why does something like Sabbath keeping come so early in the Ten Commandments? Now, it, just because the Sabbath is fourth, Uh, in the list and comes before a bunch of others doesn't mean that it's more important than things like murder but it does mean at least this and I think it's important that we notice this the Ten Commandments value things that are not always obvious to us very few of us would think of Sabbath keeping as being just right at the core of what it means to follow Jesus would we would you Why is it so important? And then, even if we do figure out why it's so important, and hopefully we'll get there, um, there's also the question of how do you actually enact it? How do you observe it? Um, And there's quite a lot of debate in the Christian tradition about this. So you will find some people that say, hey, listen, um, we should, Christians should observe the Sabbath very similarly to how the Old Testament Israel uh, observed the Sabbath. It's just, it's right there, it's in black and white, do it. And then on the other hand, you'll find other Christians that say, actually, no, 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 um, Jesus fulfilled this, uh, this commandment so fully that, w- that it, it actually doesn't have, it, it doesn't really need to determine how you spend your time all that much. So there's kind of a maximal interpretation, then there's a minimal interpretation, and then there are some that say, actually, what this means is that we all need a day off, and we should all take vacation, and we should have a good work-life balance. And God is like a really good millennial boss, right? And, and that's what we love about God. Um, and so you'll, you'll get kind of this, this spectrum of, now, what I want what I, to what I say, now those are all straw, straw men that I put up there, but, but I want to knock them all down because that's fun. And, and, and I want to say that all of those are too thin. And Sabbath is too important. We need to think more deeply about it. And I think, deep down, a lot of us know intuitively that there's something important about Sabbath. Why do I say that? Think about three areas of your life for a few minutes. Think about work, play, and deep relationships. Now, everyone cares about those three things, right? Um, Work. Work drives your life at some level. Now, a lot of us here are... That's obvious, Like you, a lot of us here are deeply driven by your career and by your work and you know it right now. Others of us say, no, 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 I'm not one of those folks. I I, I kinda hate my job or I don't really care about my job or whatever, but even then, even if you hate your job, even if you don't have a job, you're in some way haunted by its reality. Work drives all of us at some deep level. But then also play and leisure Um, We are, I mean, we all want to escape work sometimes, and we all, um, there's a kind of ideal, I don't know if we all subscribe to this, but there's an ideal of kind of working hard and playing hard. And then deep relationships, everybody knows that those matter. Now here's the deal, however, think about this. Work, play, deep relationships. We are all of us driven to chase these things, or at least desire them at some level, but very often, those three things, important as they are, end up kind of competing, for, uh, competing in our life, don't they? Don't they kind of sometimes feel like they sabotage each other just a little bit? So you have the person who uh, sacrifices everything for their career, but they end up uh, later on in life realizing that they've sacrificed deep relationships in the process. One priority sabotaged another. Or you have the other per, another person who says, no, 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 I'm going I'm to make the hard decision and I'm going to prioritize deep relationships. But then later on in life, there's also a pain associated with what they might have achieved but haven't. And then there's things like you go on holiday and, and you go on vacation or something like that and the whole time you're feeling guilty about the work you're not getting done or the people you haven't called or whatever it might be. Very often, these three things that are very important, work, play, relationships, they end up competing for each other and sabotaging each other. We can't avoid the conflict. And one reason, not even maybe the main reason, but one reason Sabbath is important is that it gives us something of a clue about how God brings reconciliation to those conflicts and those tensions in our lives. Really? Yeah, let me show you. Look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then skip to verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, look at verse 11. Do you see how verse 11 says, Uh, sends us right back to the beginning of the Bible. And if you read the beginning of the Bible, one of the things that stands out is that work and rest and relationship are all happening together at the same time in harmony with each other. What do I mean? Well, think about the beginning of the Bible. Uh, When, if you've read the beginning of the Bible, if you haven't, I'll kind of summarize it. Um, When the Bible begins, opening scene, the curtains come back, you're watching work happen. Do you remember this? You're watching somebody in a workshop. You're watching a craftsman. But very importantly, the worker is not me, it's not you, it's not any of us. The worker is God. Very first line, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, throughout the first chapter the camera kind of follows God at work. It's almost like a little documentary, watching God as he works like a craftsman. And he, there's this building joy and excitement about the thing that God is building. So God begins with light, and it's wow. In the beginning, you know, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And there's this wow. And then at the end of each day, God creates a bunch of things, everything, in the course of the story, in the course of the week. And at the end of each day, there's this sigh of Satisfaction. God looks at the thing that he's made and he pushes back from his workbench and he looks at his craftsmanship and he says, that's good. And it's not an exclamation of arrogance. It's deep work satisfaction. But then comes the sixth day where God creates humanity and everything's finished and finally there's this climactic exclamation of Oh, this is very well done. This is great, God says. Total work satisfaction. Are you jealous? Wouldn't that be great? But don't stop there. Because the story doesn't end with work satisfaction. Well, in a way it does. It ends with the seventh day. God finishes all his work uh, in six days, but on the seventh day he rests. Why does he rest? Is it because he's beat? Is it a work-life balance thing? No. Rest on the seventh day is not just stopping work. It's enjoying relationship. The idea is that God created the whole world with a very specific purpose... He created the whole world to be a place where God and humanity could live together and rest together and enjoy relationship together. And that's what you see in the following story, which is the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the garden, they're supposed to live in this constant experience of rest and love and enjoyment of each other and intimacy with each other. In fact, there's reason to think And you can ask me about this later, because I don't really have time to go into it in a great deal, in a whole lot of detail. But there's reason to think that the seventh day is actually, in the text, not really supposed to be just a 24-hour period. It's meant, there's no end to the seventh day. In all the other days, it says there was uh, evening and there was morning, the first day, third day, fifth day, sixth day. But when it gets to the seventh day, it's open-ended. It's as if this seventh day of rest is supposed to go on for forever, that the whole history of humanity and God is supposed to fit in this long Sabbath rest animated by intimacy between God and humanity. Humanity and God working together, resting together, enjoying each other for forever. And it appears that that was one of the best ways to think about God's big purpose for creating. Put differently, Sabbath... ...is a clue to the meaning of life. Why did God make the world? To be a place where we could rest with him, know him, and enjoy him. Why did God create you? He created you to rest in him and enjoy him. Now, keep that in mind and go back to Israel at Mount Sinai, receiving the law. Why does God establish a weekly Sabbath? Well, part of it is so that every single week, Israel could be reminded of their real and deeper purpose. It's as if God looks at Israel and says, Israel, I want you to remember every single week that you are not just workers. Your work is important, and I want you to value your work and work hard at it for six days. But I also want you to know that it is not everything. In fact, Israel, it's as if God says to Israel, my work and not your work is the work that is most important. I made you to know me and enjoy me and that happens as you rest in my work and not yours. And therefore, every single week, I want you to stop on purpose working. Not because you're done, but because you're trusting in my work and not yours. I want you to rest and focus on me and there I will meet you and we will renew our relationship together. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Different. Different distinct, mine, says God. Sabbath-keeping is a clue to the meaning of life. But now let me point something else out. Sabbath-breaking is a clue to the meaning of sin. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Sin, and we've talked about this a bunch of times recently, sin is more than just rule-breaking. Okay. Sin, at its heart is when I prefer myself over God. And when that happens, I'll always end up breaking rules. But fundamentally, it's when I prefer myself over and against God and other people. And that's why sin is always a kind of Sabbath breaking. Jim, I'm not following you. Here's what I mean. When we fall into sin, what happens is um, I reject God's purpose for my life. And I reject God's work as being most decisive in my life. And I reject God's purpose for my life. And therefore, I reject rest in him. And I reject the relationship that animates that rest. And therefore, I'm rejecting the heart of Sabbath. Uh, That's one of the ways to think about Adam and Eve and their story. Uh, God tells Adam and Eve, listen, my work is most decisive for you. I have provided every tree you will ever need. i provided more than enough food for you. Eat from anything, except for one. Just don't eat from that one, but eat from all the others. And then you, re- you know the story, right? Adam and Eve go and they, and they choose to eat from the, the one that they weren't supposed to eat from. But part of what's happening there is that they were saying, as they grabbed that fruit, whatever it was, and they're saying... God's work and God's provision is not sufficient for me. I need to trust me, my work, what I can achieve and what I can grasp from this point forward. That's the best way forward. And in rejecting God's work and provision for them, they were rejecting God's relationship. And in rejecting God's relationship, they were rejecting rest. And therefore, the whole of human existence ended up falling into this restless sense of futility. We are always seeking, working, trying to rest, trying to play, trying to find deep relationships, and it's always just beyond our grasp. And can't you feel it a little? We work, it's never quite enough. Even after you get that raise, You play, but you're never restored afterwards. Remember the the crash of re-entry after vacation? We love, and those relationships fall apart. We're Sabbath breakers, and we can't stop. Uh, Archbishop Rowan Williams says this. In modern Europe and the North Atlantic world, we live in a climate in which both work and leisure seem to be pervasively misunderstood in which both appear regularly in inhuman and obsessive forms. Time is this undifferentiated continuum in which we either work or consume. Work follows no daily or even weekly rhythms but is a 24-hour business sporadically interrupted by what is often a very hectic kind of play. It seems we are either producing, or being entertained. And being entertained by a vast industry that purports to guess our wants before we ask and leaves us in so many ways passive. The strain on the life of the family, as well as the life of the soul, is well documented. And it leaves in us a vague and powerful anxiety in the culture in large. Can you identify with that vague and powerful anxiety? Do you feel how our work and our leisure and our relationships, they're all competing for our allegiance, and we get torn apart, and we sense futility? And that's why the application of this sermon cannot be just, hey, man, you got to take a day, day off every now and then. Because a day off isn't going to deal with the issue. I mean, you should do, take a day off. Um, there's this point in, in Isaiah 58 where Israel uh, it, it may well be that Israel was observing the Sabbath officially but Isaiah comes and he says yeah but even on the Sabbath you, you're, you're just prioritizing your own pleasure at the expense of delighting in the Lord you've even made Sabbath about you and not the Lord See, we can, we can take a day off, but if we're not dealing with this self-orientation, it, it, it can end up just making everything worse. We feel the futility, futility of work, play, relationships, but here's the thing. Here, here's, if you stop listening, listen now. That futility is, actually can be a gift. Why do I say that? Here's why. Because that sense of futility is designed to drive us back to finally see that we really aren't made for ourselves and we really are made for God. And only in him can that futility be taken away. We've got to learn how to observe Sabbath. How do we do it? Well, do you remember the opening scene of the Bible? Opening scene of the Bible is God working. Why does he work? He works so that he can rest with his people. But then we reject that Sabbath, we reject that rest, and everything falls into futility. Do you know what's happening at the great climactic story of the Bible? God's at work again. And more specifically, and God's working harder than he did at the beginning. And more specifically, Jesus is working. And you can see it in our gospel reading. Jesus in the desert, in the temptation... Here he is being experiencing all the sense of futility that uh, bombards us. He's got his own desires. He's fasting. He, he has these desires. He, he's tempted to grasp out and work and fulfill his desires with his own work. Turn the stones into bread. Do it, Jesus. That'll be great. He's experiencing and working right where you do, right in the midst of that experience of futility. But why is he working? He's working to defeat that futility. He's working to bring you back into the rest for which you were created but that you have never tasted. But that was just the beginning of it because all that comes to the zenith and the climax and the culmination when Jesus dies upon the cross. When Jesus dies upon the cross, all the sense of futility and all the brokenness of our relationships and our work and our... Self-indulgent play, all of that comes down upon Christ upon the cross. But he worked so that we could find rest in him. And you come back to me and you say, Oh, Jim, you're reading too much into the whole thing. Am I? Do you remember what Jesus says? Come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am lowly and gentle in heart, and you will find what for your souls? Rest for your souls. See, Jesus suffered and he died and he rose again in order to give us true Sabbath. And that's why you can't keep Sabbath by just taking a day off. And you can't keep Sabbath just by mimicking the Old Testament pattern, not straightforwardly. And you can't keep Sabbath by just imagining it doesn't matter anymore. You can only keep Sabbath by coming to Jesus Christ and bringing him the futility of your work and your addiction to it and bringing him the futility of your play and the self-indulgence ...that has been fed in it. And bringing him the brokenness of your late relationships... ...and all the selfishness that has contributed to that brokenness. You bring all that to him and you surrender it down there before him. And then you look away from your work to his work upon the cross. Maybe for the first time you're looking away from your work. You look at his work upon the cross. And Emmanuel, your work will never tell you who you are. But Jesus' work will... And all your life you've been trying to get your work to tell you who you are. But you, you were almost right. Work, someone's work can tell you who you are, but only Jesus's. And then as you look at his work and not your own, then he pours out his Holy Spirit upon you. And that is the love that animates all relationship. And the moment that happens, you're beginning to taste rest and intimacy. A moment by moment and breath by breath, intimacy with God that is the purpose of your life. You were made to live in Sabbath, not just one day a week, but every day. All right. What does this mean practically? Lots of, lots of things. And I'm just going to throw out a couple sketches, okay? You got to remember that Sabbath keeping for a Christian is not just about not doing stuff or doing stuff. Sabbath is about deep trust in Christ moment by moment and breath by breath. And without trusting in Christ, nothing that you do outwardly is really going to be that helpful. But in our relationship with Christ, having surrendered ourselves to him, then there is a good and healthy Christian rhythm. And it goes a little bit like this. This is how I'd summarize it. We worship weekly and daily, asking God to transform our whole life into Sabbath. Here's what I mean. We worship weekly. So after Jesus' resurrection, the Christians started worshiping on Sunday, and it made all the sense in the world to do that, because just like Saturday, the sixth day was the culmination of the first creation, Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, was the beginning of the new creation. And therefore, Sundays have always been the, the, um, uh, the, the key holy day in our week. And so generally speaking, on Sundays, we want to fast from our normal work and feast on worship and prayer and friendship with God and with other Christians. Now, it's usually unhelpful to get really rule-based with all of this, But that's the pattern. We fast from normal work, set it aside, all things being equal, and we feast on worship and prayer and friendship with God and with other people. Um, Put differently, on Sundays we practice intentionally trusting Jesus' work, and so we set aside our own work, and we focus on enjoying Jesus and enjoying his people. But then we also want to worship every single day. Uh, Christian Sabbath is not just one day. It's every day rest in Jesus. And therefore, we want to set aside time every single day to pray, read scripture, and renew our Sabbath rest in Christ. And that's why here at Emmanuel during Lent, we're encouraging you and emphasizing, learn to pray. Pray daily. I've been sending out uh, links to apps that can help you pray the daily office morning and evening during Lent and watch how that, um, that uh, Sabbath breaks within each day. Reframe the whole of your day. And then lastly, uh, what we're doing is we're asking God to transform all of our week into a Sabbath rest. Now, obviously, you're going to go to work. And when you go to work, there's gonna, it's going to fascinate you sometimes. And it's going to frustrate you sometimes. But... The deeper you're resting in Christ, when it frustrates you, it won't destroy you. And when it fascinates you, it won't define you. And then we'll look forward to the day when the Lord takes us home to his eternal Sabbath rest. And there in the kingdom of God, in the new heavens and the new earth, we get to work and rest and enjoy relationship. And those things will be in perfect harmony because Christ will be our perfect rest. That's where we're going. Let me end with this. This comes from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Amen.